0: When I was 17, my, um, my diabetes specialist said to me, you know, I was such a bad diabetic, I was partying hard, um, as my seniors do. I wasn't very strict about injecting myself insulin or my eating. And he said to me when I was 17, if you don't get better control, you'll be dead by the time you're 30. And that's really a bad thing to say to a 17-year-old girl. Because basically what it said to me was, okay, if I'm gonna die on 30, I'm gonna party really, really hard. I'm gonna cram as much as I can into my life, and I'm gonna drop dead at 30.
1: Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Janelle Cahun is my guest today on Better Thinking. She's an incredible woman, and her story is just absolutely fascinating. Not only is it fascinating because she's completely blind, but it's actually her achievements that just are mind-boggling. There are so many things to rattle off. She's written you know, papers and, and, and research. She's gone out and, and run productions for people with disabilities. She goes out and is an amazing opera singer, archery accomplishments, travels the world, writing a book, you can't stop this lady and her attitude is absolutely amazing and I think there's something for us all to learn from Janelle's story and and the way that she approaches life. So enjoy this episode. Welcome back to Better Thinking. Today, my guest is Janelle Cahoon. Extraordinary story, and I couldn't wait to get you on the show today. So welcome, Janelle.
0: Oh, thanks, Nish. It's really great to be here.
1: I was uh, reading through your bio a little while ago and obviously in preparation for for today's conversation. And to tell you the truth, I don't even know where to start. You know, the, your your life is so full um, so I, I thought maybe it's just uh, most most uh, reasonable and responsible of me to to allow you to open up and, and, and kind of discuss uh, a little bit about yourself, and then we can kind of you know step into in, into your story because you know we've got an hour but I don't know, you know, which part we'll, we'll, we'll grab because there's so much to, to, to your life. So maybe I'll just hand over the mic to you for a moment.
0: <laughs> oh, great. You've given me, me the difficult job. So, um, you know, it, kind of my biographies go by which part of my life I'm talking about because, you know, I've been a professional singer. So I started off as an opera singer and then when I went blind, when I was 29, then I became a, an entertainment producer, an agent. Um, you know, specializing professional artists with disability. Um, I also travel a heap, um, you know, including since I went blind. I also have had heaps of health issues, so many so that their last um, new doctor I saw when I came in to see him because I was seeing him at the, the hospital. So he has all my other files from all the other departments. And when I came in, he said, how on earth are you still alive? I said, no, I'm too stubborn to die. So, you know, you just have to keep on putting up with me. And um, so... <laughs> Tons and tons of health issues, I mean, apart from blindness, um, <clears throat> which was caused by type 1 diabetes when I was 10 and um, pretty much tried, almost well, most of the um, diabetes complications and threw a bit of cancer and, and um, you know, organ transplantation into that. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I took up blind artery. So most people don't even know there's such a thing as blind artery and always joke that you know, how do you do blind eye? And I just say, my assistant stands at the target and rings a bell and I just aim for him. (laughs) He just ducks as the the arrow comes. But, of course, it's not quite like that because that would be extremely dangerous because, you know, I know there was one day I was shooting and my assistant couldn't stop laughing because this plover was on the ground um, and, and as it saw this, this arrow coming straight towards his head and ducked and he couldn't stop laughing because he's seeing this plubber duck out of the way of my arrow. Anyway, I haven't skewered any birds yet, hopefully. Um, and, uh, and yeah, what else do I do? Um, I travel a lot. So just back yesterday from a trip to um, New Delhi and breathing in the pollution and then on to um, Sri Lanka where I was done heaps, like everyone says, oh holidays and going holidays, I've done, six music therapy workshops four performances a conference paper and i was team leader both in in new delhi and um in um sri lanka so in new delhi i was a team leader for four other blind people performers and um new delhi two other blind performers and um a one-sided member we finally took a sighted person with us um who has autism so um yeah trying to keep myself busy i also write so i've written the first draft of my um, novel and it's just a case of when do I have time to do the second draft um had publishers and agents and other authors say as soon as it's ready let us know and it's just like when do I have time to sit down to a second draft I I do have do too many things so one of these days I'm so I'm on heaps and heaps of health committees because I thought I don't want to see anyone going through all the health issues that I have so anything I can do to help um my self-imposed rule of only three health committees at a time has been broken at the moment by being on six committees and about four subcommittees. So, um, yeah, I don't get much sleep. <laughs> it's probably a good thing that I'm on steroids for the um, immunosuppression because I think that's the only way I get enough done in my day by not sleeping much. So um, apart from that, I don't do really much, I guess.
1: So a fairly that's... light schedule, you'd say, then?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got a lot. I got a lot of concerts too. Whenever I can, I go to concerts and plays. I'll
1: love going out and socializing as well. Yeah, so light schedule. I, t- I, I, I tell you what, the, just this tiny little intro of what you've jam packed you know, in terms of what what not only you've done but are doing, you know, currently involved in. You know, put so many of us to 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 kind of uh, you know shame, and in actual fact, it is it, very inspiring. I watched, you know, some of your your work, you know, in, in leading up to this and and that that's what really stood out to me. How, you know, how is it that, you know, you do all of this? You know, what is this something that's inside you? Do you have to hold a particular attitude? What 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 gives you this 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 you know outlook?
0: So it's definitely an attitude because I know when I went blind, I had all these other people contact me, like parents or friends you know, who are other people who are going blind because um, when I went blind, I didn't have any support. I went blind when I was living in Germany and had to move back um, to Australia and I was reaching out for help and there was no one there to help me. And then so, um, you know, none of the organisations wanted to help me because diabetes said, well, it's blind, so go to the blindness organisation. Blindness said, well, it's diabetes related, so go to them. And um, so then obviously because I just found my own information and... um, then other people started, you know, then those organisations started putting other people in contact with me because Janelle's the expert. And, um, and you know, then I'm getting people saying, like, you're so positive, you're still so motivated. You know, what do we do to motivate, you know, the person that we know who's gone blind? I said, well, do you know what? what I was motivated and driven and sudden before I went blind. So it's, it hasn't changed. I mean, if, if anything, I've got a bit worse. Maybe <laughs> with the motivation and drive and stubbornness but um, I don't think it's something you can snap something's happened to you you know you've had some major accident something major in your life has changed suddenly snap I can change personality I think it was within me and um, when I was because I was diabetic since I was 10 when I was 17 my um, my diabetes specialist said to me you know I was such a bad diabetic I was partying hard um, as my seniors do I wasn't very strict about injecting myself insulin or my eating. And he said to me when I was 17, if you don't get better control, you'll be dead by the time you're 30. And that's really a bad thing to say to a 17-year-old girl because basically what it said to me was, okay, if I'm going to die when I'm 30, I'm going to party really, really hard, I'm going to cram as much as I can into my life and I'm going to drop dead at 30. (laughs) 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 You know, you're you're 17, you you know, you're invincible. You know, okay, so I'm going to die when I'm 30. Okay, so big deal, I'm just going to do a lot until then. So I just did as much travel as I could. I moved overseas. Same with the Frankfurt Opera. Um, And But because what he didn't say was, actually, you're not going to die. Actually, at the age of 29, you'll go blind. And then a few years after that, your kidneys will fail. And so actually, at the age of 29, you're not going to die. You start to suffer. So all the things you were trying to do and wanted to do and were doing, like driving a car in Europe, you won't be able to do anymore. You're going to have to completely learn how to, like because I was, you know, a singer, professional opera singer. And so I, I could read a piece of music twice and I could memorise it by the pictures on the page. And suddenly I had to change to listening to a piece of music and memorising it. It took me two years to retrain my brain on how to memorise. And even still I remember everything visually. So I'll type up the lyrics for a song that I need to learn because once it's typed on the screen it's like I can picture it in my head. In fact, one... one um. I knew I could do it but one time I was asked to sing at a funeral because you get two days' notice of those and there was a hymn with about 20 verses and I kept on thinking, I oh, know I can do this. So I just kept on picturing picturing the computer screen with the words in front of me and got through the entire thing with correct words. And I wow, I can do it. It's just a training of your brain and so I'm still really visual so my trip overseas is all... Even though I'm only experiencing it, you know, um, smell a lot of smell in pollution in New Delhi, of course, and um, a lot of smell and pollution in Sri Lanka when they were burning off all the plastics in the backyard, getting rid of the rubbish. So you're kind of breathing in this toxic smoke. Thank goodness for environment laws being much better here. Um, and so I just visualise everything. So I remember, I remember this conversation as a picture, rather than as just a, you know the sounds that are around me and the smells. Um, and that sort of thing. Um, And, yeah, so, you know, suddenly I'm gone blind when I'm 29 and then my kidneys fail and I was adamant I would never have a transplant because my thought always is if it's a transplant from a family member, what happens if, you know, I get one kidney from them? What happens if their kidney fails? Then they're in the same situation because I could never do that. And so instead I went into the transplant waiting list and when I moved to the top of the list seven years later, then I got stomach cancer so they took me off the list and, um, well, I kind of fought it with alternative methods for 11 months until my kidneys failed totally and I was going to go on dialysis but they wouldn't give me dialysis because my, kid, my stomach cancer was going to kill me anyway. So instead I went on dialysis and had to wait three years. I got my stomach removed, which is one really good way of staying thin. You know, if anyone wants a really good way to keep thin, just get your stomach removed. You know, it's all done. Um, And so had my stomach removed, went on dialysis for three years, which I still travelled overseas when I was doing dialysis. Um, And um, then, you know, went back and did what my friends called the interview of my life because I had to go back to the transplant doctors, the team, and convince them it was worthwhile giving me a transplant even though there's so few transplants, so many people die waiting for a transplant that they should you know, use one of their precious organs on me. Um, And because I was so positive and said, I've got so much to do with my life and I want to give back so much by going on health committees, by talking out about organ donation, Um, you know, I dressed up well, put on makeup. My mum commented that I looked the best out of anyone in the waiting room, even though I was by far the sickest in the waiting room going in for their interviews to see if they go on the transplant list and convinced them I was a worthy recipient and, 11 years later, my transplant's still going really well. I'm still travelling the world and, um, yeah, getting on more and more health committees. (laughs) um, Like I said, anything I can do to give back so that people aren't going to face the same things as I have, anything I can do to prevent them, you know, getting diabetes, especially obviously type 2 diabetes because type 1 is, you know, you can't do anything about it, but type 2 is mostly lifestyle, um, obesity and you know, poor eating habits and no exercise and that. But anything I can do to prevent other people going through it, I'll do. And anything I can do to enjoy my life, which is travel and um, singing and getting other people work and, yeah, speaking, I'm, you know, more than happy to do.
1: Is there anything that can stop you? you know, those things that you just rattled off, you know, one of those things would, would, would stop the average person. You're, you're extraordinary.
0: Uh, when I got chickenpox two, two years ago and ended up in hospital for a month, unable to get out of bed and with them pumping me full of antibiotics and antivirals and antifungals and the doctor saying to my, my family, we're not sure if she's going to survive that stopped me for a bit <laughs> um when I got to hospital I was so weak, my muscles always wasted so much out of a month that I couldn't even walk up the stairs so I had to put off taking up archery by six months so um that was a bit of a shame but um I'm still regardless now the national indoor and outdoor blind archery champion and record holder and in fact i um, it's our our um, archery club's Christmas breakup this Saturday and I'm refusing to go because I will be get, get handed about 30 record-breaking certificates. So every time I break my own record by about one point, I get a new record certificate. I don't know what to do with I've already got about 30 <laughs> record-breaking certificates. I don't know what to do with these certificates. Um, I've got, you know, tonnes of medals hanging on my wall. Um, there's not that many blind archers and I'm the only blind archer in Queensland. So, like I said, Um, I keep on getting, and I'm just refusing to go because it's embarrassing being handed all these medals and certificates. (laughs) So I'm actually avoiding going. Isn't that funny?
1: (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about uh, learning learning life again after blindness? I mean, did the blindness sort of occur over a period of time? Was it fairly sudden? Can Can you talk us through that period of your life? So.
0: Um, in Australia, like, I worked for the Australian Opera, sang with the for two years. Then I moved over to Germany, was seen with the Frankfurt Opera um, and towards the end of that i just actually quit my job, resigned because I was coming back to Australia to um, hopefully take up a position in Fandom of the Opera um, in Sydney and had sent all my, um, my you know, everything I owned back to Australia and then suddenly my eyesight started to deteriorate. I'd already been having laser treatment, which always says kind of like someone playing space invaders with your eyes. So it was unbelievably painful. Um, I apparently have the record for being getting the most amount of laser shots in one session and the doctor ended up having to stop. He said I can't do it anymore. He says, "Um, how can you not complain about pain? Isn't it painful? I said, it's excruciating, but at least if I get it done in one session rather than four, which will be normal, like it's only one time excruciating pain, not four times excruciating pain. So just put up with it and, you know, I take pain calls before I got there, pain calls when I get back, you know. Um, and um, so over a six-month period I went from still driving my car around Europe to completely blind, um, not even light perception. So I'm, a, I'm what they call an NLP, no light perception blind, um, because there's only 5% of us who are that blind. Out of the people who are legally blind, um, there's only 5% of us who do, do the full Monty, so to speak. Um, and so yeah, in the Herx Eye Clinic where I was getting all my eye operations over in Germany, they they called me the most extreme case they ever had. But you know, why not do any why do anything by halves? If you can go you know go the full way, why not do it? Um, not exactly my intention, but yeah, um, you know, I got diabetes from an autoimmune disorder, so that's affected lots of other things. Like I have lots of other allergies as well because my body just keeps on attacking itself. So. Obviously, every time they operated on my eyes, to save my sight, my body attacked what they did. So within 10 days of an eye operation, um, my body had messed up what they'd done and they have to discuss it and send me in for more surgery. So I went through six months living in a hospital in Germany, having eye operation after eye operation. And some of my friends are saying, why do you keep on going back for it? You know, each time you say, I'm never going to do this again because I come in so much pain. And I say, because... I can't ever look back in my life and say, you know, if I only got that next operation, maybe I would have sight now. So, you know, while we well, discussed with the doctors, and at the end they said, you're blind, there's nothing we can do. Of course, until bernic eyes come in and, you know, when I went blind, they said, yeah, within five years, I'll have, you know, the, um, an artificial retina within Ten years, I'll have a Bionic eye, and now twenty years later, they're saying within five years we'll have a chip at the back of the eye for the retina, and we'll have in ten years we'll have Bionic eye So, you know, the the blur, the lines keep on blurring and going out. And um, um, so, when I first got back to Australia, because my mum came and rescued me because I was so sick and weak from so many operations. By then, um, mum came and rescued me in Germany and brought me back home, and and I do move my parents' place, which is very difficult when you've been living on your own for a long time overseas um so I bought a house as soon as I could together with my brother um, the first two years my mum said I was awful because I was really frustrated and angry because you know being able to jump in your car whenever you wanted to rely on someone to go and pick up some groceries so you could cook dinner um, I didn't have any work at the time so going from a six day a week job um to having nothing to do trying to get gigs where no one wanted to employ me because i'm blind of course when you're blind you can't sing either so i convinced um upper queensland to give me a few jobs so sing with them but finding other work was incredibly difficult um my brother my brother was really good during that period because he could just see what i was going through and he wasn't kind of you know mothering me or you know doing that i'll do it for you janelle he was letting me you know have a go myself until i was really frustrated but i was very suicidal at the time you know I was a, a lot of black thoughts and if i don't get my sight broke within six months i'm going to kill myself which of course that timeline kept on going out and um you know a certain time you just start to live with it and deal with it and of course as soon as i was, I was becoming active again getting on being asked to be on committees and feeling that i was doing something again and then i started my own business which meant suddenly I had lots of work um, chasing up jobs, trying to get other professional artists with disability work because um, at the time, and I still might be the only agent in the Southern Hemisphere who you know specialised in professional artists with disability. Everyone else thinks someone with disability is too hard to work with. And they don't look at, actually, it might just be a case of can someone meet this person at the taxi and bring them upstairs? can someone walk this person to the bathroom when they need to go for a bathroom break? It can be as small as that. Or, you know, I know one of my autistic um, performers, all I need to do is spend the time talking him through. He was going to catch a bus to the gig. I just had to talk him through catching the bus from his place to the city, where to walk to catch the next bus to get him to the university campus, you know, where to go there. That was all it took for him to be able to do the gig, Where someone else would look at that as, that's all too much hard work. And of course, it just takes a bit of time and patience and and thinking, what's it like for this person? Um, When I go to India, this is the sixth time I've been to this disability arts festival in India. Um, I'm always looking, you know, I take um, a group of disabled artists from Australia. Um, I always try and take three blind musicians because it's mainly a music conference um, and festival. And so I have a lot of blind musicians but then I always look at someone with a different disability, who can be our sighted help um, this year that didn't happen. So we end up as a room of five blind people, which meant the volunteers had to give us a lot of extra help and there were a lot of funny things happening in our room. Um, you know, at, least, at least we can all jump out of the tiny weenie insufficient shower and get dressed in front of the rest of the group, you know, males and females naked, and no one really cared about that, of course. <laughs> um, and so... You know, and one guy had just enough sight to be able to tell, I think we're all sleeping with the light on, so can someone find where the light switch is? <laughs> no one ever asked the volunteers to tell us where, how to work the right control for the air conditioning. So it was a bit stuffy in the room at night, but, you know, it's just all part of the fun. Um, but so I know one of the things in India, they'll, like there's people coming from all around the world at this festival, mostly from the Indian subcontinent, and... Um, so they're saying it's all accessible but you know a ramp a really steep ramp up to get in and out of the hostel would be considered completely inaccessible in Australia where they're because they're used to being pushed or pulled up you know or down a ramp so for them it's not inaccessible and when there's lots of people who can't even afford a wheelchair so they're walking around with songs in their hands it's it's not inaccessible so while I've got this fantastic DVD called accessible India, um, we look at it and laugh and say by our standards it's completely inaccessible. So when I'm taking a group, I would never take someone in a wheelchair just because I'm thinking they're not going to cope because it's just, as far as I'm concerned, inaccessible and they would consider it inaccessible too unless it's someone, like I always say, the group I'm taking has to have the whatever attitude, you know, whatever's going to happen. If we get a rehearsal or sound check before we perform, whatever if we get up on stage and they don't have give us the mics they don't turn on the mics The mics die while we're performing they they swap mics on us while we're performing um you know whatever <laughs> they give us uh whatever to eat whatever you know dinner isn't at seven o'clock that like is supposed to be it's at 11 o'clock because they're running like whatever
1: who who came up with the whatever attitude i love that uh,
0: that's me that's me i just always say you have to have the whatever attitude you know it just has to be whatever just accept anything and just go whatever so whenever someone starts to complain I just say whatever you just have to say whatever so you know there's always something someone was not so happy about but it's just like whatever
1: I'm I'm hearing you, you it's not only that attitude you you haven't lost your sense of humor I mean I, I it's the first time that we're, we're, we're talking but uh, it sounds like um, you know your sense of humor is is, 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 is you know hundred percent intact
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so why I've got I've got a um one woman cabaret called Blind Date, and you know I'm joking about going on a date you know, <laughs> when you're blind and all the funny things that can happen, and uh, there are a lot of funny things that can happen on a blind on a blind blind date. And as we say, um yeah, of course there's just so many things. Like yes, in my in my novel there's so much comedy, and you know my am um, the convener of Sisters in Crime in Queensland. And so all my sisters know whenever we're doing an exercise, they know they they can always tell which ones might because it's always comedy and humor. You know, because I think that's what's life about. How do you cope with life if you're not being positive and and laughing about it? You have to laugh about some of these things. I mean, some of these things. I mean, the the showers in, in they put us in a really cheap hostel because they were we were their guests, so they paid for everything while we we're in Sri Lanka. So four of us, everything was paid for, and they put us in the cheapest of cheap hostels, which was healthy um and you know the four of us in a room that's all cool the bathroom was this big share I don't know whether it was a sports kind of but basically there was only cold water and the cold water shower was on top of the urinal so I basically had a cold shower a urinal for the last week and a half you know how can you not laugh about something like that <laughs> Oh, hi. I, we've got photos. We're going to upload them to Facebook because you know, because I said we have to get a photos. So no one would believe that we're really showering over <laughs> urinal for a week. So how else can you do but the whatever attitude? And you know, I know a lot of people who would not have coped with that. But everyone in my group just thought it was funny. They all had the whatever attitude. You know, whatever. It's not every day you shower over <laughs> a urinal.
1: And that's what's so inspirational—the, the, the whatever—the you know the resilience, you know the the attitude of, whatever it is, what it is, you know I'm going to sit with that, and in actual fact make light of it, you know, uh, make some humour out of it, laugh at it. It's um, you know, it is what it is, rather than complaining. It's yeah, that's what it is. It's it's incredible, incredible sort of a way to look at these things.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the, um, the festival in India, because I'm not really a big person who's rushing around to all the disability arts festivals around Australia and overseas because, I, at least in the Western world, what I see is everyone goes to disability arts festival to whinge about, you know, how they're being discriminated and, you know, how the reason I'm not getting the work is because I've got a disability, the reason I'm not getting my you know, artworks hung in a gallery is because I have a disability. And I <clears throat> always say... So just focus on what you can do. There's no reason an artist was digitally, you know, in a wheelchair, let's say, can't have their their artworks hung in a gallery. Like if you're a good artist, you don't actually physically have to hang them. So therefore what is the barrier? And just like with singing, okay, there are a lot of barriers to me getting up on stage and now being in an opera and opera companies do put those in my way. But um, just earlier this year I went back and sang with Opera Queensland in their big um, concert performance of the Verdi Requiem which was amazing and you just go in with the I'll just make it work and so that's basically what I try to do I need to make it work but I'm also the one who needs to fight to get the work I'm the one who needs to get there and say I can do this you know look at my many like I've got one disability being blind I've got hundreds thousands maybe of abilities. Um, so that's what I focus on, all the things I can do. So why focus on the one thing? And I don't like other people. I don't like being labelled disabled, because why are you? Everyone has a difficulty. Like, can you sing? Are you a professional opera singer? You know what I mean? Do you have a voice that can sing opera? Therefore, you don't have. You're you're disabled in that respect if you can't sing, for instance. So you know, I mean, I'm a I'm an archery champion. So if you're not great at archery, then you're disabled in that respect. So you know, focus on the abilities, not the disabilities. And um, most of the, you know, arts, disability arts festival they just whinge and complain about all the discrimination and how they can't. And the one over in India, because they're having people with these serious disabilities, things that we would have corrected at birth. Um, Like I said, they don't have wheelchairs, so so some of them are walking around with thongs in their hands, dragging their legs behind them. Like how awful is that when their streets are not clean? It's just like. Is just things that we would never see over here. And yet every single person up on stage is so excited, so happy they are celebrating, coming together for this big festival where, you know, they, they give us great food. Where some of these children, this is the biggest meals they get for the whole year because their family is giving them the least amount of food because they're a disabled member. So they're celebrating life. They're celebrating being there, celebrating getting up on stage and performing for this group of really supportive people. And that's what I love about this festival. They're, I mean, it's a terribly badly organised festival. There are all these things that I just say, oh, please let me produce this concert because I could do it so much better. But you have to take the whatever attitude. I mean, it's just really a lot of things that are just so weird and funny and wrong about it.
1: Sounds like your focus, your your focus is is, is one that goes out and looks at – not the things that you can't do, but rather the things that you can do. And and part of the challenge is that people sometimes come to you and and you know whether it whether it be tell you or insinuate or kind of say there are barriers and you know it's not going to work for you. And you're kind of having to say, you know, let me speak for myself. You know, I'll make it work for me if if, if you give me the opportunity don't don't tell me what i can and can't can't do you're having to kind of advocate and focus on uh on that rather than you know kind of you know having to battle both those things
0: Uh, uh, definitely and and obviously being a good self-advocate and being able to like in the in the health world i'm i'm very health literate so i can get up and speak for myself because i'm confident because i've been on stage all my life i'm confident to get up but like tomorrow I'm on a panel discussion about disability and, and work people can get. Uh, because I can get up and advocate for myself, because I'm prepared to sit on these committees with all doctors and, and healthcare professionals or go to an international um, health forum and talk in front of all, all healthcare workers and scientists and that and tell them my experience and what it's really like to, you know, have the issue, have the disability, whatever it is, um because I'm happy to start up petitions or to just fight people and like yes arguing so I will apply for jobs where I know they're going to look and say she's blind she can't do it but of course if they actually give me the chance to say well of course I can do it you just don't know how I can do it people assume people assume that because you're blind a you can read braille which I'm going blind when I was 29 and having no feeling in my fingers because of You know, diabetes, nerve damage to my fingers means I don't re-braille, so I have to listen to everything. I've got a talking computer, which is a huge help, of course. Um, It means I can access most things on the internet. Like there's a lot of um, inaccessible things on the internet, a lot of inaccessible documents I get sent. But then I'm prepared to go back to these. Every software I get sent a newsletter, they've chosen a new format. I'll get back to them and say, you've just made an inaccessible format. Do you want to look at changing things? Um, So, you know, I choose my battles because if every time I went to a website and found it inaccessible, like there's lots of shopping websites that you just look at and you go, I can't do that. Like you have made something inaccessible. So when I'm applying for a festival, you know, to apply to some international festival and I've left it to the last minute, you know, so the 12 minutes before midnight and you get to the last page of submit and there is something I have to tick, you know, I'm not a robot and there is absolutely no way I can tick it. That's when you get really frustrated, <laughs> and it's just like, oh my god! There was one time it was doing really soon, I think half an hour before I got to the point, and it wasn't one that uh, you, some some online forms you're filling out. So then basically, I can just log out, call my mum, you know, wake her up at eleven thirty, say, "Mom, you have to finish this for me," um, and she can just log in. All the is there; she just has to go to the last two pages to click "Yes, I accept" and then submit. And this one was basically, I'm just. Emailed her all the information. Say, Mum, Mum, you've got half an hour. It's doing a half an hour. You have to copy and paste all these things in, and then you get to this one. So <laughs> it's a real panic. So um, that's when it's really frustrating. Um, like I said, there's a lot of shopping sites that are incredibly frustrating because mm. they are inaccessible. Um, you know, that's that's probably the most frustrating thing is when you're seeing things that they could do right, but they just can't be bothered. Yeah, and yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of government thinks even though it's everything like for instance the hospital they are supposed to have everything government is supposed to have everything accessible in the public hospital they are still refusing to send out an email about your reminder for your upcoming appointment or let's say you're going for a let's say one of those horrible things like a bowel preparation and they send you this two weeks list of what you can eat and what you can't eat what you need to do at certain stages what you need to eat and drink at the last stages they give it to me in print form. So I can't read it, which means someone reads it to me once two weeks before and I have to memorise everything on that darn list, which, of course, you can't. You don't do everything right because you can't remember. And they've got a policy that they don't send anything by email and you're going, that's crazy because that's making it inaccessible to me, to anyone who's not literate. So, you know, 18% of our population cannot read print. 18%. That's the populations of. South Australia and Western Australia. So that's many Incredible. people who cannot read print and yet they're refusing to send something inaccessible. Like anyone who's, you know, um, you know, different language speaker, if it's sent out by email, all they need to do is push that translate button and they can understand it. You know, when it's in print, what are they supposed to do? If they have a scanner, they can scan it in and then try and push the you know, translate button. You know, that's one of my big things I've been...
1: How important has family and technology been for you
0: um both absolutely like um that's one of the reasons i moved back to brisbane because it wasn't my plan to move back to brisbane it was my plan to continue my career in sydney but obviously having family like my mom comes over once a week to help me out um, just with paperwork things i mean now i've got the ndis so that's helped a huge amount because my mom's you know 80 and her eyesight's failing herself um, my, and she likes the chance to come over, and she makes up medicine for my parrot who has separation anxiety issues. So she has to make up a bird Prozac every each week for my. <laughs> so yeah, of course, of course, I would have a bird who's got separation anxiety who needs Prozac every day. Um, so she'll come over and just help me out with you know just getting all my appointment letters in order. So if I'm going to meetings, she gets up my cap charges ready just puts in a pile In order of a week going past she goes through my filing cabinet she reads me any mail like I said she makes up the, the week's worth of um my parrot's Prozac um and just so I can just give it to him each day to eat um other than that I have to stick a syringe in his beak which is very challenging when you're blind um yeah so I relied a lot of and like I said when I first got back to Australia um, my brother and I bought a house together because he had the job and I had the deposit and they wouldn't give me a, you know, a housing loan because when they are looking at blind work, of course, I can't work. That's the assumption. And um, my brother had no deposit because he spent his money, but he had a good job. So together we bought a house. So you know, in that respect now I have a house, um, which is really nice. Um, and, yeah, technology, I would be completely lost. I would not have all that I have now because obviously I can write a book because I use my talking computer, I can access the internet, I, you know, have a, a really excellent thesaurus that I can look up words on, all these things I used to just pick up, pull out a book, and um, there's audiobooks that I can, you know, download um, on the on the computer, so because I was a big reader before I went blind, now I'm a big audiobook reader, I just listen to them, sped up about 10 times normal reading rate, because... I always get bored listening to a persons reading at the normal um, speaking rate. So um, apparently, apparently, blind people can listen to speech so fast that there's no human who can possibly speak it that fast, and it is so fast that unless you're blind, you can't really understand it. But um, you know, when you're used to listening to synthetic speech spoken really fast, you can understand it perfectly. So,
1: has your listening improved? I, I, I my my understanding is that sometimes you know if, if if someone loses a particular you know sense that potentially the, the the brain goes out and and says we're going to give additional um you know efforts to to other senses and or, or maybe out of necessity we have to go out and and uh you know practice listening harder you know if if we don't have vision has your has your hearing improved what, what, what do you
0: uh- well, like I always say, it's not so much that my hearing is improved, I'm just using it better. Um, I Easy mean, I was better, a musician yes. anyway, so I was already really good at, like, listening to things, hearing things. Um, like, having, because I'm a big researcher, like, I just like to know everything about, you know, I get diagnosed with a new health issue. I have to read everything I can about it, like, and I read all the scientific papers so I can read all the scientific speak. Um but so I know I researched a lot into it. So apparently your brain is taken up with 80% of your senses is taken up with sight. And because, you know, if you just glance around the room, you pick up an enormous amount of detail in that tiny little glance because you can see the colour of the walls, the, the, what, the, what the painting on the wall is, you know, where the dust is, you know, how many books in the bookshelf, you know, the color. you pick up so much information in that tiny glance. Of course, if you have to feel over all that information, A, you're not getting all that information, but B, it's going to take you hours to feel all that information that you can do in a millisecond. So they say when you lose your sight, that 80% of the brain doesn't just kind of end up as wasteland. Basically, you take that up with um, touch, which obviously mine's not too good. My touch isn't very good, So, um, but with um, you know sound and smell. So suddenly all that 80% is being used. So like I said, just using your hearing and your smell better Um, It's just always so funny when um, I'm in hospital and I know when we're over in, um, you know, this group of, you know, five blind people sharing a room, you couldn't whisper something to someone in the room because the person you're talking about would hit you. And it's just like (laughs) when I'm at the hospital, hospital, they'll stand just outside my door discussing me. And it's so funny because someone will say along the way. You know she can hear everywhere we're saying, because like they've realised that my hearing is so good that they can stand whispering at my door, but I can hear. Come into my down room and discuss me if you're going to discuss me, because <laughs> I can hear everyone you say. So it's just so funny because you know people used to try and trick me by walking up the back stairs to creep in, and my brother just say in my my flatmate at the time say, doesn't matter what you say, she knows exactly who's walking up the stairs by, you know, the sound, of the, the way they're walking. And, you know, you, you cannot sneak up <laughs> on Janelle. But they also commented that I walk incredibly quietly. I've got timber floors. And obviously because I'm listening to everything, because you can actually hear the walls around you. Um, there's something called human echolocation. So it's, it's like the bats, except humans learn to use it when you're blind because you don't bother using it when you can see. Although apparently if you put on a blindfold for a couple of weeks, you'd start to use it um so you can hear things around you so if someone let's say you know the waiter is reaching the f- hand in front of my face I can hear there's something in the way so I can hear that sound of the dense space um one of the guys we have just been traveling with he has the most amazing human echolocation so he never uses a cane he just runs around once he's been walked through an area once he can navigate anywhere. So when we were over in Singapore last year, like he was walking myself and this other blind lady down, you know, down, you know, three three different hallways to the left, down the left, get into the big big. It was one of those really high atrium reception areas. Walk straight across this big open space. Stop just before we got to the stairs to walk up a couple of stairs and then down a couple of stairs into the restaurant. You know, because his his human echolocation is so amazing. Does he have
1: to make sounds along the way, or or he could just pick up from from other sounds how it echoes as well? How how does that well, work?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting because I don't do the clicking, so they actually tell about the sound click. So, and I said to him once because I've never heard him doing it. I've, I hear some other people doing it. Um, I've heard him clicking a few times just when like the room was saying Sri Lanka had a fan on fans on the whole time. Um, because of the bad air and because of mosquitoes, um, so his his echolocation wasn't working too well because it was really getting affected by the um, by the fans. But um, um, yeah, I he I asked him once. I said, "Do you actually do clicking?" And he said, "Yes, but he must do it so quietly that it's like even I can't hear it." Um, and like I said, I've just heard him click a few times, just when you know he was really struggling with the, the fan sound. But yeah. So, yeah, most blind people have the good, you know, especially people born blind have really good human echolocation. But like I said, I walk around my own house. It's only when my radar's off because, like, maybe I'm really tired or had a few drinks and then suddenly I'm bumping into things. But normally I just wander around. I actually had a flat and my move into my house one time and he was here for three weeks before he noticed I was blind. <laughs> so. that's because I just walk around I'm doing all the cooking because I do all the cooking at home um yeah so so yeah he didn't even notice because I'm navigating the house so well
1: I uh, used to have a friend who unfortunately is uh, uh, now passed away, but he was blind and, and every time we would speak, he would immediately rattle off, you know, my date of birth, my my address, my um, phone number. His memory was, was incredibly sharp and, and, and he was, you know, qu- quite an elderly man um, at yeah, the tchenko uh, yeah, you know, amazing and beautiful human being. Who it was just the giver, but I tell you what, geez, was he sharp and 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 he he didn't have any any vision either um, in terms of uh, completely. Um, uh, I think you said light 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 um, uh, perception, um, but uh, I tell you what, what, what he made up with, with, with everything else was was uh, you know you remind me very much of of him.
0: Well, I know one of the guys, So, Dr. Jeffrey Usher, he's just got his doctorate in music and um, he's a jazz pianist. He lives in Brisbane as well and he was one of the guys were over there. He remembers numbers. So basically when we need to, you know, we've got a couple of SIM cards in Sri Lanka and he just remembers the numbers. Or you say to him, oh, what's the currency conversion between we've got 4,000 <laughs> rupees, what's that in, in, in Australian dollars at the moment? It's 1.25 at the moment. He just rattled it off. Um, but the other guy, um, who we're there with her, he's from Iran and he's a doctor of Persian literature. You can ask him to re- recite any poetry from the entire tens of thousands of years of Persian poetry and he'll just rattle it off. Um, he's also got his bachelor in Arabic literature, so he also teaches that at the University of Tehran. He's just going, and of course, like like Persian music is all by listening and remembering orally. So, of he's a pianist and composer and ranger. So, just watching these people are just amazing, amazing memories. Like, you know, I think my, compared to most of my friends and family, my memory is amazing. Compared to those guys, I'm an amateur, you know, so you just go, wow. I mean, anything remembering tens of thousands of years of Persian poetry, for goodness sake.
1: Yeah, it's phenomenal in in in, in some sense. And, you know, maybe, maybe it does come from that place of, you know, 80% is, you know, um, of, 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 our resources moves towards that visual uh, perception, and once you lose that, it almost brings about this the the possibility of becoming. And I don't know if this is the correct word, but you know, superhuman. You know that that, that, that uh, you you can perform in these other areas in 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 a phenomenal outlier sort of way that that um, you know your hearing and, and that of your colleagues or memory, um, you know, and then add on top of that your your incredible attitude, you know, the can do attitude and the, you know, whatever attitude. Um, you know, wow, look out.
0: Well, like and and I do sometimes say to people, yeah, I'm just trying to be super warm. Um <laughs> yeah, you know, like I like I said, um like you have to focus on the abilities and I like it like I look at other blind people. So I've actually got a international multidisciplinary trio. So it's my blind pianist from Iran. Plus a blind dancer from Nepal. She does Nepalese dance. She teaches blind people how to dance. She's an amazing dancer. And we've got this trio called Mirage, and we just basically apply for you know international festivals because obviously, you know we're always having to fly somewhere to meet up um, when you know one person living in Nepal, one person living in Iran, and another in Australia. And um, so, like every one of them is just amazing. Like I know so many amazing people with disabilities who are doing amazing things. Um, You know, so the the blind pianist from Iran, he's, like, also does swimming, um, you know, every day. Um, The the blind jazz pianist from Brisbane, he's really into blind cricket, you know. And then I've got, like I said, the blind Nepalese dancer who is energetically throwing herself around the stage. She just learns where the front of the stage is and then just goes and dances, you know, which, like, I find amazing (laughs) because I'm not so keen on throwing myself around the stage because I'm sure I'll fall off. And... I have a bit of an issue about falling off stages. So. But, um, yeah, so you, you do see some amazing things and it's just because that's what you need to do. And I know I've met a lot of people who just give up and say, all too hard, I can't do anything anymore. But, you know, that's not what I'm about. That's not what the people I spend time with and like to make music with are about. They're about the let's go out and enjoy life and travel a lot. You know, we always, people always joke when we say we're going sightseeing, you know. Yes, we're going sightseeing in Sri Lanka and people go, yeah, right, how do blind people sightsee? <laughs> okay, we have someone who needs to describe the scene to us, you know, because you're still getting the sounds and the smells and we're on a train trip, you know, so one of the guys was crazy about train travel. So, of course, you know, you're getting all the stinky diesels going past us, but, you know, listening to the stops and people coming down and selling food on the train. And-
1: I remember my, 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 my friend, we went to a lookout and he says, you know, Nesh, tell me what you can see. And I remember I was a young man, you know, and I I scratched my head, going, "What, what's Chenko asking me this for?" You know, like it wasn't making sense. You know, I'd say, you know, there's mountains, there's nice greenery, you know, in between us and the mountains, there's the city, and you know, you can see, you know, Parliament House, and and I, 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 you know, couldn't kind of get it. And you're filling in all the all all the gaps for me. You know, looking at your bio. you know, what we talked about before in terms of people putting in, uh, you know, boundaries, you know, uh, they're the boundaries that I was putting in as well to thinking to myself, you know, how can Janelle do this? You know, archery, opera, you know, music productions, singing, traveling, you know, writing conference papers, giving papers, you know, being a writer, sitting on health uh, committees uh, and the list goes on. And, and and I I think I get it. I you, you just do it. The, 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 this is not a disability. Uh, why would that go out and you know, uh, exempt you from all those things? You get up and you uh, do what you need to do and you go and get it done and you know there, there, there's a thousand reasons why why someone can't. Uh, one of those could be because you don't have your sight, but it could also be because you're feeling tired or you know you've got aI can't attitude.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and there's a lot of people with an I can't. You, you don't need to have a disability or any health issue to have the I can't, you know, um, attitude. I mean, I meet people all the time and I find people with the I can't, um, you know, very difficult to deal with. How do you take that? <clears throat> I, I get a bit frustrated because I'm just going, you have so much you can, why don't you vote? And, and I'll regularly be telling, you know, I've got a few negative people in my life and I'm always saying, just be positive. Just say something, just say something positive. You know, I do the, um, I, I I read it in a book sometime and it said, you know, when you get up or when you're having a bad time, just say five positive things. And I'd said that to someone one time when he was being incredibly negative. I said, just say five positive, oh, what's positive? I said, you are able to get out of bed this morning. You're able to walk into the shower and have your shower on your own this morning. You're able to sit down and make your own breakfast and eat your own breakfast this morning. You know, you're able to see the beautiful blue sky when you walked outside, like, you know that's all it takes if you can't find anything positive but like of course those are positive things when you think there's people that cannot get themselves a bit cannot have a shower on their own cannot make their own breakfast or sit down or might not be able to afford breakfast cannot walk outside and see the beautiful blue sky so uh, especially when you're in a polluted country and you only see a brown sky but um you know obviously you know <laughs> if you live in new delhi and you only see brown skies how do you know there's such a thing as a beautiful blue sky like we get in australia you know, even that. It's
1: about gratefulness, being being grateful and appreciative and, 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 and touching that, understanding that, knowing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like I think it's always, you know, like it's it's using what you do have and being positive for what you do have. And like uh, it's it's sometimes I say I can't do that, but that's mostly because I'm either feeling too sick to do something like as in you know, someone will say, okay, let's climb up to the... No, actually, no, when they said that, I did it. Um I was just thinking, climb up to the top of a Buddhist temple in Sri Lanka, and there was just a million stairs. Um And even though I wasn't that well at the time, I just said, I'm going to do it, and I just kept on having to take breaks. And I know there's a big joke from there because there's all these monkeys running around everywhere and sitting on the rails, and I put my hand in something, and I've gone, oh, my goodness, I just put my help hand in monkey poo, and they said, no, 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 the, priest, the the monks put um, yoghurt there, some sort of, you know, prayer ritual. They put yoghurt on it. Oh, great. So, you know, the rest of the time I've got my hand <laughs> in monkey food, you because know, like, you know, there was just yoghurt all over the, the, the rails to help you to walk up the stairs. And, um you know, you just have to laugh about something like that. I'm sure some people are going to meltdown. You know, you just have to laugh. What
1: would your message be to, to, to people who are going through a hard time? I know that obviously the first couple of years of, of, you know, trying to adjust, you know, you were going through, you know, your own dark time and you mentioned that, you know, you'd even contemplated, you know, the thoughts going through your head about, you know, if, if this doesn't improve, I don't get my eyesight back in six months, I'm going to kill myself. Like the real dark times, clearly you got through and, and and you know, you're a formidable force and you've done such amazing things and continue to enjoy traveling and the other things that you you, you did even, you know, when, when when you did have sight, what would you say to people who, who are in that hard space at the moment? How, you know, you, what know, would you it's, so,
0: it's so difficult because I know I was in that place. It didn't matter how many hands were reaching down to help me to get out of it. Like, it was just like, I didn't want to take hold of their hands. So I know that when you're in that place, you know, people just saying, come on, just get over it or come on, you know, I'll give you a hand. You just don't want to go there. You can't. So I guess it's just finding within yourself, like obviously if you're prepared to take someone's hand, you know, or, you know, to, to, to work through things. But I think it's just finding that spark of hope within yourself and trying to find that some, something positive. And I think that, you know, just say five positive things about today, even if like all you can see in your life is that it's negative. Like I said, there's always positive, you know. Like I said, hey, I can have my own shower. That's already positive. You know, I can, you know, I can eat my own breakfast. Whatever it is, there's something positive in everyone's life. You know, hey, I've woken up this morning because there's a lot of people who don't wake up in the morning. Um, So, hey, I've woken up and there's a roof over my head. I'm not out on the street. You know, I'm not living in the slums of New Delhi where there's, you know, a million or so people living under a piece of cardboard you know, in these absolutely revolting conditions that we couldn't even imagine. So, you know, there's always something positive. That's the only thing I can think, that, you know, you just have to find that something positive and then try to find something that you actually enjoy doing. So, you know, for me it was singing really, really helped me because I love to sing. So that for me was a saviour. If if I'd lost my voice, I'm not sure I would have survived. Um, So obviously... Yeah. Got, got all these things in my technology <laughs> um, being noise in the background. Um, so it's just finding that something that's positive. Um, that's that's like, you know, like I said, finding something and focusing on that. Um, yeah, trying to do something that even when you're in a bad place, finding something you enjoy doing. And, like, I know that sport's a really good thing for that because it's, you know, using some of those um um, you, um, you know you, some of the chemicals in your body so it's really helping you um, like I was never ever into sports I've never done sports so my friends think it's hysterical that now I'm doing blind archery and now they're calling me an elite athlete which I think is so hysterical <laughs> because <laughs> never having any, done any sport in my life and suddenly I'm being called an elite athlete is just so funny and all my opera fans think it's hysterical you know, like opera singer to archer like it's just, just completely nuts but you know it, I guess it's of who I am now that I just do another bizarre thing I mean, who knows I have I have no idea what the next crazy thing I'm going to do is but you know if there's something out there that sounds interesting and that you know is going to make me enjoy life then I'll, I'll do it someone invites me to South Africa to you know teach music or to sing or to whatever teach blind archery for a year I'd do it you know there's a
1: bit of a yes attitude there as well
0: uh probably a little bit yeah <laughs> It's just like when you know when you're flying overseas people going well how can you fly like you need someone to fly? no i don't like there's this fantastic service called meet and assist so anyone's disability kids underage can fly assisted by the um the airline so i can get onto an airline i mean obviously i don't choose flights where i'm stuck in bangkok for 20 hours on my own because then it's not accessible but like i just got singapore air because it's got good connections so i end up in the air for a couple of hours they, you know, from check-in to when I get, you know, through at the other end where I'm going to, I'm in their care. They're all looking after me. They're making sure I'm getting into the flights. They're making sure I get to my next flight, whatever it is. So I can fly anywhere on my own, which is fantastic. It means, you know, I've travelled all over the world because I've organised people when I get there. And, and the other thing I always do, always, always do is have a backup plan in place. So when I was just over in India and Sri Lanka, backup plan was using Wi-Fi. Sri Lanka doesn't really have Wi-Fi, so backup plan is I just pay $5 a day and use roaming. So, you know, I, you know, whenever I've not had a backup plan in place, something will go wrong and then you're really stuck and then you're just in this situation where you're just going, if I don't have a backup plan. So, you know, when I went to London a few years ago, I was staying with a number of different places, people, places, and because i just recently had something happen to me in Brisbane, where I didn't have backup plan in place and just everything went really, really pear-shaped. Um, you know, not unmanageable pear-shaped, but just, just didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. So it's just like now I always have backup plans. Everything I do has a backup plan. You know, if I'm going to see a show at the theatre, I've got, you know, person A organised to meet me there and go to the thing. If, just in case person A can't make it, then I have to organise person B that's going to be available just in case I need them for instance, or that I just call the theatre and say, hey, can you meet me at the front? I'll catch a taxi in. Can you meet me? Put me on my seat. You know, always have backup. Yeah. backup. You know. It just f- makes me feel, you know, more confident and, you know, at least less open to go wrong, basically.
1: Do you ever feel anxious, nervous? Uh, do, you, do you worry much or, or you kind of just feel, you know, the whatever it, it it'll work out. I've put in place some some uh, you know backup plans, strategies. I've got I've, I've got an idea about how things are going to work out. Do do you get concerned or, or you just go for it?
0: Yeah, no, I do sometimes, but just certain issues that concern you or make you anxious, and that's when I go through nights without sleeping. But luckily, I just listen to audio books, so I can take my mind up. Yeah, I do, but it's it's not necessarily. Big picture things it's just you know it can be something really silly especially when I was getting ready to go over to India I had so many things I had to do I'd promise three or four people that I'd help them write a conference paper or abstract They were applying for you know some big international conference that like I do a lot of editing of people's stuff you know editing biographies, biographies helping people you know second language English speakers write conference abstracts whatever and they're asking me to help them. And then I've got a couple of grant applications I want to put in. And then I've got, you know, five committee meetings, which I also have to read reports for and comment on. And then I also have to let everyone know that I'm going away and also have to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then I start to get stressed about the fact that I've got so much to do that how can I do it in time? Um, but obviously getting so stressed that you can't do anything, which a lot of people do, you know, they get too much on the plate. So it's kind of like, you know, how do you need an elephant and, one bite at a time. I just try to do the one bite at a time rather than look at elephant. I can't eat that elephant all at once, so therefore I'm going to be paralyzed by
1: you. Just not doing chew it. very fast.
0: You know, uh, yeah, oh <laughs> yeah. You know, well, it just means I chew all night and don't get anything. <laughs> so before I flew off to India, I managed to say, "Okay, there's a few things I still need to do. I'll just have to survive without them." And I lay in there for 45 minutes because I just thought. Be good to get my feet up for 45 minutes before I jump in a plane for the next 17 hours, and um, yeah, so 45 minutes is pretty much normal for me just before I catch a flight overseas because I'll be just racing to do everything till the last minute. And you know, because two nights before it, I was going to do things all night, and suddenly, you know, um, an old singing teacher of mine had died, so then, of course, instead of doing work all, you know, Sunday night instead I'm going to a funeral rehearsal on Monday night because I put my hand up to not just go to the funeral, to sing in the choir, of course, which means suddenly I'm having to look at music to sing at the funeral, going to rehearsal on Sunday night, then instead of Monday morning packing all morning, instead I'm at a funeral all morning, you know. So it's like, okay, that took a huge chunk out of my time. Great, okay, (laughs) you know, now how do I get it all done in the time? So, yeah, it's just, you know.
1: You're such an inspiration with such a full life. Uh, I think uh, so many of our listeners will 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 take so much from not only you know this this, this conversation, but you know what's possible to take these you know barriers, limitations, you know, and put them aside. Uh, because, you know, they are just figments of our, of our imagination. You, you, you're you a clear example um, and a phenomenal one of of that. How can people get in contact uh, should they wish to, to uh, you know, collaborate, uh, put some ideas forward, meet you, um, you know, ask you something that you'll say yes to? Um, <laughs> Again. <laughs> How can people um, best you find out more?
0: I'm very good at saying yes to things, you know, I was just like, yeah, of course I'll do an interview the day after I've got a flight from, you know, to <laughs> Lanka, when my voice is all croaky because I've been giving so many music therapy and performance and breathing so much polluted there. Of course of course I said yes to talking on a panel tomorrow morning. Just like, okay, should I fit in some archery training there too? <laughs> I actually, I probably will contact my archery assistant and say, yeah, let's go tomorrow afternoon. Um, anyway, so um, I've got my website, which is very out of date because I need to find a new um, web designer to help me just update things. So I need to find the time to rewrite the biographies too, but that's another thing. Um, so my website is www.salubriousproductions.com. So Salubrious is in the word healthfulness because I thought it suited, well, it was just a joke word to start with and then it became my business. So Salubrious is in S-A-L. U-B-R-I-O-U-S, us productions or um, is healthfulness and I think you know I think we all need a bit of healthfulness in our lives right
1: absolutely absolutely and I think uh, you know healthy healthy uh, mind frame as uh, as well which um, you know I, I think is very much evidence of, of how you live live your life um, I'll tell you what I'm 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 uh, not going to uh, whinge a single thing uh, again and place limitations. I mean, really, this has been eye-opening because you know my my thoughts going into today's uh, conversation, you know, is is. How how does this this lady do all these things and and I didn't realise that that's just actually in actual fact my own bias, you know that I'm I'm doing the same things as other people are doing um, uh, to you and and that, that that that's really you know insightful um, about you know these these biases that that I bring forward about you know what 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 a disability is and and, and in actual fact I think this is more about. Uh, abilities and, and and attitude and focus and and humour, um, and, and and taking hold of life and um, yeah I'll, I'll say it again you're you're an absolute inspiration and I thank you so much for for, for coming onto onto the show um, and I look forward to finding out more about uh, what's next uh, as well as well for for you in this you know jam packed jam packed uh, journey. Well, on Facebook,
0: I'm, I've got a Facebook. Um, just my own name in Facebook but um, there's apparently a lot of fun pictures of me in, you know, New Delhi and mostly in Sri Lanka Um, and, you know, I've got YouTube as well under Salubrious Productions, some links to music I've done and I'm also on LinkedIn but um, I haven't worked out how to put most of the stuff up there because it's not that accessible so it just means I'm kind of there but, um, but. Yeah, like I know when we're in the room in both in India and in Sri Lanka, that's what everyone's attitudes was. They couldn't believe all these blind people could get around. So, you know, people want to mother us because they think that's what we need. And all we're saying is we just need to, you know, if we've something on the floor, you know, yes, someone to find it much quicker than us kind of feeling around on a disgusting floor is much easier. You know, hey, which T-shirt I'm about to put on today, you know, is much better than like I was about to wear my... Um, pyjama shirt, T-shirt home, you know, yesterday. And I was just like, <laughs> I was so glad when the one side like she said, I'm, um, Chanel. You know, by the way, you've got your pyjama shirt. No, I'm not wearing my pyjama shirt. <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> so obviously that sort of thing is, but, you know, it don't need, I don't need someone to, you know, we don't need someone to walk us to the bathroom. You know, the first day we find the bathroom, we know how to find it after that. You know, we know how to get down to, to the food. You know, after the first day someone shows us that, you know, and that's what I think most people don't realise is that, um, you know, you don't need to mother people. You don't need to give them as much. I mean, obviously there are people who need more because, you know, I can't say that I'm same as everyone else. There are people who need a lot more help because they're just not as capable. But certainly the people I've travelled with, you know, who are blind, they need very little support um, because they're quite capable on their own. And, you know, obviously none of the people I'm travelling with would travel if they weren't weren't very capable so um you know that's obviously the people i like to surround myself with the people who are positive and capable and risk takers and want to get out there and do it
1: janelle thank you very very much for your uh, time and for sharing your 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 inspirational and beautiful you know story and and life i really appreciate it
0: no it's okay i hope you enjoyed it
1: if you enjoyed this podcast please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review, subscribe, share it via social media and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.